You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, and I'm reporting from the PDAC in Toronto. It's 2020, and as has occurred on this uh, channel and podcast in the times past when I attend events. I like to connect with Nick the Mining Book Guy. You can find him at miningbookguy.com and he has an email list that I would encourage you to go sign up on, sign up with, and also David Earthley, the junior miner junkie, and Brian Lenny of juniorstockreview.com. And as I was preparing for this roundtable, I was thinking about how I'm sitting before three men that sold huge assets in order to uh, be successful in junior mining to access capital. David Earthley tripled it after he sold his house, as did Brian Lenny in 2016, tripled it, and Nick sold a business and now uses the capital that he has from the sale of that business to uh, be full-time investing in mining stocks. So these men are risk-takers, but they've also experienced quite a bit of success. Brian, I'd like to start with you. You launched a premium service. Maybe give us just a 30-second overview. Why did you launch this premium service? And uh, is there an offer for my my subscribers and listeners? Sure. Thanks, Bill. Um, yeah, so I've been publishing a free letter for about four years now. And uh, I've been you know making money from the market for a while. And I just thought it was time to move to a different type of model and actually open up more of what I'm doing in the market. The free letter, free letter uh, kind of covered 25% of what I was actually doing. And not that I'm going to disclose all my trades moving forward, but it's going to be a lot closer glimpse at what I'm actually doing in the market with my money. And uh, with that, there's going to be a new issue published each month, uh, sprinkled in with some interviews and stuff, uh, along with market overviews um, that are in between issues. So, yeah. And you said there would be a discount for oh, my yes, listeners. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, for your listeners, if they're interested, um, they can receive a 40% off the subscription price uh, by entering Powers um, into the coupon it's code. It's a great last name. That is. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, as you've walked the floor, you were talking at the end of day two. What have you noticed differently this year than last year? Uh, you know what, for me personally, um, I'm a couple days in and I can I can say that this has been the best PDAC that I've been to yet. And uh, But that's a very personal thing. Um, I've had some really good meetings and the, the meetings that I've had have been very productive and I see a lot of potential, um, especially with this, this sort of sell-off, you know, things on sale um, that I think are good is an even better deal. <laughs> so um, I'm very encouraged. David, as you look at the markets, uh, is this the time to be greedy or conservative? Well, uh, neither. I think it's time to be a little cautious. There's a lot of, still a lot of question marks out there as to what's going on in the marketplace. Um, you've got uh, Super Tuesday coming up here, and uh, I think if Bernie Sanders gets the nomination, I think uh, that would send a lot of uh, global uh, capital into hibernation until the uh, 2020 election. And um, we're also waiting to see uh, what the central banks do in response to the, the Dow going down over 12% last week. Um, the, the, uh, the market has already priced in a 100% chance of a, of a 50 basis point rate cut. So the only question is, when are they going to do it? Is it gonna, are they going to wait till the meeting on the 15th, and, uh, 16th, I think, or 16th and 17th? Or are they going to do it before then? So uh, until that time, I, uh, I'd advise having some cash ready and um, 
not being a hero just yet, you know, unless you really know um, the company that, 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 you're, uh, that, that you want to invest in and uh, the value looks really good here and you don't, you don't think there's much of a sell-off anymore. But still, I mean, um, what we saw on Thursday and Friday was uh, some forced, a lot of forced selling. Um, margin call, uh, the, 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 the margin clerk is not discriminant and um, people were selling anything to, to, to get liquid and the things that they were selling uh, first and foremost were risky assets and that's the junior mining sector. So if Bernie gets the nomination, would gold rise into the election or would everything be on pause? Well, um, gold might rise, but uh, if there's more panic in, in the marketplace, then the shares would not. Mm-hmm. That's 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 what I think would. would and what we're looking happen. at now, it can't be another 2008 because as I look at my own portfolio, I'm saying how low before I hit the bottom. <laughs> it's not like we're at the top of 2011 or 2012, right? Right, exactly. I mean, uh, if you take a look at the if you take a look at the TSX venture, it closed below the 2016 low monthly close on on Friday. So um, if you take a look at the, the TSX Venture and you take a look at the GDXJ, which was about to break out of a seven-year base, you'd hardly believe they're in the same sector. Nick, uh, this is your third PDAC. I remember meeting you two years ago. Uh, what is the vibe that you're picking up on now at the end of day two here compared to the previous years? Well, Bill, I'd say that uh, in terms of attendance and energy, that Things haven't changed too much overall. Like, it's, it's still there. N- neither of those, like, s- I guess, stand out so much. But I spend more and more time going to these country sessions. Uh, for me, that's always been the most interesting uh, p- part of, of PDAC. And I really like the emphasis I see on exploration. In fact, I should... I should add, if there was, you know, a little bit of positive energy, it was the uh, the Mark Bristow keynote speech, and you know, he runs uh, uh, Barrett Gold, uh, one of the largest uh, gold producers in the world, and he just went on and on about the importance of discoveries in Tier One deposits. So, if I was going to say something um, that stood out and that is a little different as a theme, is that extra emphasis on discovery, which is something I really enjoy because that's that's the part of the the junior market I focus on. Do you even invest in any developers or producers? <laughs> I actually do have um, a few producers, but those two tend to be in exotic jurisdictions. Uh, I mean, one that I've held for a long time is Endeavor Mining, which is in West Africa. So I do have a few, but uh, they just kind of sit on the side while I spend most of my time with, with the explorers. And you just got back from Eastern Europe, and you did an extensive site tour report for your subscribers. Perhaps share a little bit more about what the miningbookguy.com subscribers will get. Yeah. So, uh, well, thanks for mentioning that, Bill. Um, I that report is public. Um, I, I do have uh, another uh, Africa-related report, and I think those will both go to any new subscriber. But uh, really, that's very representative of what I look for. Interesting things in exotic jurisdictions. So it'll be a mixture of reports and videos on companies or books or even research tools. Uh, But specifically within the next few weeks, I will be putting together a PDAC report focused on what I enjoy to do with all these different uh, countries and companies related to those countries, which is not something... uh, probably the typical PDAC retail investor does. So if if you have any interest in those types of things, that's right up my alley and uh, you should consider subscribing. Any new jurisdictions or companies that you've encountered in the first two days that you'd like to share? Uh, So um, in terms of jurisdictions, which I'm still looking more into, I would say 
Egypt um, is, is interesting because of changes in the mining code. And I did like the energy in that room. I, I still think it's going to be a little complex, much more on my radar. In terms of companies, uh, probably one of the most exciting things I will be seeing t uh, tomorrow, uh, I I'll get to meet with uh, the CEO of Chester Resources, uh, CHZ, on the ASX uh, for the first time. A company I have a large position in uh, that I've talked about in my newsletter. Uh, but we're meeting at the West Africa Discoveries technical session. And so that's extremely interesting because this is a session that's focused on tier one discoveries that have already taken place. Uh, you know, uh, a name that many people know is Focola for B2 Gold. And that's what this small junior is trying to do in Senegal. So it's kind of neat to meet uh, a company that I invest in, not even at a booth, um, that's very relevant to uh, the session that we're going to. That's that's kind of like a high-level session. And then I think that um, you know Chester is coming to Toronto specifically looking for um, you know possibly big players. That's that's speculation on my part, but it's neat because they're not a booth company, but they're they're actually going to a session for the same interest that I have. Um, so it kind of makes me feel like more on that professional level, and that's definitely a benefit of PDAC. And you introduced the um, internet to Osino. Now you've introduced the internet to this company, so you're the first mover on the net. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Bill. I guess I am. Unfortunately, Chester got really knocked down the last few days, so uh, sometimes introducing isn't, isn't always the best thing to be known for. But, uh, but yeah, both of those companies I really like, and, and that's exactly what I enjoy doing, trying to be first mover in some of these juniors that people have never never heard of otherwise. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Orn Resources is a junior exploration company with the appetite of a major, focused on finding the next globally significant discovery to create enormous potential upside for shareholders. It's one of the most aggressive exploration companies pursuing high-grade, scalable gold and copper deposits and has a premier seven-project portfolio including its two flagships, Committee Bay in the Arctic and Sombrero in Peru. With Oren's unparalleled technical team and highly experienced management with a history of success in advancing and monetizing exploration assets, Oren has been called one of the best in the junior exploration sector. Orin trades on the TSX and NYSE under the ticker AUG. To learn more, go to orinresources.com. That's A-U-R-Y-N resources.com. Dave, uh, when it comes to a value play, when people are seeing the sell-off and they're doing the assessment of cash in the bank versus market cap, and perhaps you find one of these deals where they're trading close to cash or maybe even market cap less than cash, but there's absolutely no liquidity, how does someone start a due diligence process here? Yeah, that's that's difficult because uh, like it flashes back to what Nick just said. Um, you want to be a first mover in a stock but uh, you're, you become most of the liquidity. so Especially when you write to, a newsletter. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you have to have a lot of patience and wait for the liquidity to come, wait for the story to grow and build and, and people will find it. But also you have to make sure that the, that the company's doing their job and getting the story out there as well. So then when you're talking to that CEO, one of the key questions you would ask him is, what's the plan to make more people aware of this story? Exactly, what's the plan to get that story out there? Yes. I mean, uh, it's, it's one thing to be uh, undervalued or, or fairly valued, but it's another thing to, to get the story out there to make sure that people know about it and buy it. I mean, nobody's going to buy it if they don't know about it. So the field of dreams mentality, if, if we build it, they will come. It really does not work with a lot of these $10 million <laughs> market caps, I've noticed. Not in, not in, in this cycle. 
now. I think it was after the recording when I talked to Warren Irwin yesterday. I believe he told me every single junior on the TSXV, I think it was in the 90s, you know, with Briex and everything, was valued at a $100 million market cap, even if they wow. had nothing. And so we're definitely, like you said, we're not at that place. We're at the other end of the spectrum <laughs> right. on that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brian, what are your thoughts here on these value plays? You like to look at a lot of these 10 to $20 million uh, companies, development projects and stuff. How do you go about your due diligence here? Uh, sure, yeah. I try to, to root my investment decision in, in value, um, whether that's ounces in the ground or cash or a number of different things. Even the management team is, is worth something. You know, it's, it's a qualitative aspect, but, you know, you need to put some sort of number on it, at least I think. Um, and then, you know, like we're talking about, some of these are illiquid and for good reason, you know, they don't have a promotional program or they're located in maybe an exotic jurisdiction where people aren't necessarily interested in. But I think if, if the right catalysts are in place and they have access to cash, I think those to me are the, 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 the biggest things, you know, you have the right people with some money and a good plan. Uh, I think ultimately that's, that's what protects your downside. And the promotional stuff, I think you can build on. It doesn't, uh, it's maybe not as hard as surpassing, you know, finding that money. You know, you can have a great idea, but if you can't give access to the money, it doesn't matter how good your promotion is sometimes. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I look at it. You follow base metals, and I think the last time we talked, you talked about zinc, and you were looking at some zinc companies. But if Bernie Sanders is the nomination, and if he wins, and we continue to see a stock market sell-off, an economic slowdown. How do you feel about a zinc position right now? Well, you know, honestly, you know, as I'm a libertarian, <laughs> and uh, so it doesn't matter who gets into me. I still think it's wrong. But <laughs> the other side to that is the other the other side to the positive lining is Bernie wants to spend, and uh, it's terrible for the future and terrible for everybody from that aspect. But He's going to spend the quantitative easing in some regard is going to happen. What it looks like, maybe it doesn't look the same as if when Trump does it, but it's going to be there. And uh, I still have a very positive outlook on all the metals. It really doesn't matter. You just want to stick, I think, uh, to the highest quality stuff. Um, and again, good people, access to cash, and they're moving forward. Um, as long as the company's not in neutral, and there is some risk of that, you know, if, it, if the zinc price keeps on falling, um, you know, a lot of these companies, even great ones, are going to be put in neutral for a period of time. And you're going to, ha if you're already in it, you're going to have to have a more longer term outlook. Um, but by the same token, maybe not. Big stimulus, people need metals. And uh, I, I still think the future is great. David, when you look at uranium right now, I mean, some of these uranium companies on major exchanges are at five plus year lows. Are they attractive to you here? Ooh, no, not yet. Um, not yet. Um, yeah, it's uh, that's uh, those are really risky. I mean, you think junior uh, precious metal stocks are, are risky there. The, you think that junior junior uh, precious metal stocks are the, are the riskiest stocks on the planet. Well, the uranium juniors are the riskiest stocks in the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it's yeah, it's I think it's still a little too early to be messing around with uranium juniors, even though they're, they look really attractive here. There's one that, that's been on my watch list for quite some time and I just keep watching it go lower and lower and lower and they just raise some money and they have a they have a, a, a 
a U.S. big board listing, and it looks really attractive. But if there's more panic in the marketplace, valuations don't mean anything, technicals don't mean anything, it's going to get sold. Any companies to note as you've been here two days? Is there anything you'd be willing to share or maybe something from the JMJ newsletter? Yeah, well, there, there's 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 one company that I'm that I'm interested in right now that I've owned before, and they're doing some interesting things in in Quebec near the uh, on the same trend as Atlantic Gold, and that's Galway Metals. Uh, their their stock has has popped a little bit here. I know John Kaiser's covered a little bit, so I, maybe that's where some of that's coming from. Also, they're getting some nice results of the drill bit. But uh, their project looks really, really interesting. Uh, they're cashed up. Management owns 30%. Uh, the CEO keeps buying in the open market. Uh, CEO has sold a company, uh, made money for shareholders in the past. They have access to capital. They have a tight share structure. So that looks in, that company looks interesting to me. I just had a long meeting with them. You have a lot of exploration stocks in uh, your speculative account. But because everything, including these developers with proven ounces in the ground, are getting so low, do you think perhaps the ratio of developers to explorers could increase in your portfolio? Ah, uh, that's well. You know, I I, I like having I like having uh, growth-oriented producers as a nice solid base, and I've done really well with a few of them. Um, I, I'm matter of fact, on on Sunday before all this carnage uh, took place, I recommended uh, t- to my subscribers to take some profit off the table. Uh, something doesn't smell right here. It looks like it's it's going to be a bad week. I had no idea it was going to be that bad, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a good idea to have some uh, low cost producers, some maybe even some royalty plays because it's I didn't have any royalty plays before, but some of them are starting to look attractive here because they got hammered pretty hard too. Um, before I was in the camp that royalty plays are, are, are going to underperform once uh, the sector breaks out because they pretty much led the sector uh, for the past few years. But now everything's kind of been thrown out the window with what happened the last two days. Um, you have to reassess and reevaluate your, your plan going forward. Nick, you focus on discovery, as we've already said. So when you see a sell-off like that, you mentioned uh, one of your positions sold off, you said 30%? Uh, yeah, we could say within a couple days, yeah, 30%. Okay. So how do you deal with it psychologically, and are you more immune to the the macro situation because you're rewarded more for discovery in your portfolio? Oh, it's, it's a good question, Bill. I, I think the way I react is so differently from a few years ago, and it, it might be a little scary. It's It almost doesn't phase me for a discovery play when I know there's a near-term catalyst or I know that it's so cheap on a, an enterprise value level that uh, it, it just doesn't seem like it should go lower. But financing is so crucial. So with the one that I mentioned, uh, uh, Chesser, they need to finance soon, and that makes it that that makes it a little bit of a tricky situation. So we'll we'll see how that goes. I, it, it it worries me a bit, but it's not thinking about the macro. It's thinking about those different pieces. And you know, one that we both like, Osino Resources. The fact that they oversubscribed their financing gives me personally so much security in that company. They they have runway for two years now, but at that time, people thought they took too much money. This was just like a month ago, and now now they look like geniuses. I think that could go down as the best financing of the year. So not not to say that that's a sure thing, but I don't think of the macro at all for that particular company. Uh, but then again, uh, 
be careful with someone like me because I feel like I know these companies so, so well and, uh, and, and you, you get kind of wrapped up in them and I don't want to, uh, you know, for people to make the assumption that, oh, you know, just because Mining Book Guy says, says something like all that information can, uh, you know, be, be disseminated to you. So hopefully anyone who listens to things I do, do their own research. And, yeah, just, just want <laughs> a to lot of disclaimers there. there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you're looking at a new pre-discovery hole position, what kind of cash in, you know, uh, sustainability would you want to see in the treasury? Oh, well, it, it, that varies based on the type of discovery play, but I, I do like plays that have, uh, uh, you know, a, a really uh, well-done JV. Uh, and, and this is something that um, I've tried to analyze more for myself. But in that particular case, we're not necessarily talking about cash in the treasury. We're looking at the combination of a front end and a back end to the JV. And so if, if a discovery is made uh, based on a required annual spend, after that discovery is made, will the next part of the JV mean that the, um, the partner, uh, which is a larger player, would have to spend, I don't know, $50 million or, or have to spend until feasibility to, uh, um, to, to earn into 70 or 80% of the company. So that's not exactly answering your question, but I think it is a reason to, to look at prospect generators sometimes. Now, sometimes the best companies have some of those deals, and then they have some cash to drill um, for themselves. It, there's, no, there's no easy answer in terms of what um, the actual burn rate should be, but I, I would just say uh, people have mixed feelings about prospect generators, but when you look at the specific terms of a deal, it really tells you a lot about the cash runway long-term, and I don't think enough people study those JVs. Yes, Dave, what do you think about JVs? Nick brought up JVs. Do you like the explorers with JVs? You look for a good share registry, but what do you think about JVs? Well, uh, I'm in the camp that I, I don't really subscribe to the prospect generator model unless they have a property that they can control 100% of and they use the, the, the JV option on their other properties to fund their exploration on the 100% property, then I'll, I'll be interested in a company like that. And Brian, what are your thoughts here? Uh, it depends. <laughs> it's, it really does. Like I, I can't give a definitive answer on that. Um, if I, if I were to bring one up, you know, Everm Resources, for instance, to me, a $30 million market cap makes a lot of sense. You know, they've got the, uh, what's it? The first majestic royalties that pay, um, their cash position. They've got $10 million or roughly $10 million. I'll pay, you know, I, I actually, I, sh I should misquote that 30 cents a share, not a $30 million market cap. <laughs> I mix up the two. So 30 cents. The last time I did the calculation, that was basically roughly the value of those royalties. And I think it was, a, uh, I would invest in something like that because these guys, it's a good team technically and good set of projects. And uh, I'll take that every day of the week. Um, other ones, you know, that don't necessarily have that much cash or like a paying royalty or something that I can anchor value to, um, not as appealing. But it's so case by case for me. Um, it really depends. I, I don't want to shut the door on, on anything, really. And that's why I also took 40 meetings this week, because I want to I hear a lot of different stories. But I'm also 
um, tired. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Are there any um, companies that have your eye now that you might want to share with the audience? Sure. I had a uh, fantastic meeting this morning. It's a company called Maritime Resources. I'm a shareholder, so biased. Uh, but they've completely revamped their uh, mine plan uh, for Hammerdown. And they're including the, another deposit called Orion. And really, for me, besides the value that I see uh, specifically in Maritime and its, its, its property... Um, I really think it's a three-company story in the Bay River Peninsula. I was there two years ago. Um, I toured Rambler's Nugget Pond uh, Mill and saw the gold circuit that Hammerdown is proposing to use inside their PEA. And, uh, of course, Anaconda, for those that are know, are, are located right beside the Ming Mine, which is, uh, which is Rambler's. Um, so I've, I've toured that area. I see a lot of value in it. And uh, I think moving forward, um, I think there's some money to be made. So I'm, I, I was a buyer at, at six and a half cents, and uh, I, I like it going forward. Dave, uh, final thoughts as we kind of wrap it up here. What are your final thoughts you'd like to share with the audience, and what should they look for in the next month of investing in the junior sector? Just uh, be very cautious. You know, it's, there's still a lot, like I said, there's still a lot of question marks out there. Don't try to be a hero just yet. Um, on some of these things, it's it's uh, it's it's very uh, it's it's a very uh, panic-driven uh, market right now. So I think it's it's a good idea to wait and see how all this pans out. Excellent, Nick. Final thoughts or insights you'd like to share from the conference? You know, one one thing I was really happy about was that I I met a young investor uh, that I've socialized with online just in the last year for the first time. It, it was actually at MIF, but then uh, the Metals Investors Forum. But we've talked again at PDAC, and I think he's so representative of what I'd like to see in the future. And yet, I would say you don't need to show up at these events to do great due diligence. Uh, you, I think. As long as you're you're actually willing to look at filings like Sadar or SETI filings, um, you're you're willing to call um, CEOs up who who are usually more than happy to talk to you for these juniors juniors that are desperate for money. You can do this all from the comfort of your own home. I think it's great to come to these things, but I just want to emphasize that because I love coming to these events. But I don't come here primarily to go to the exhibit hall. I come here for a for a different purpose. And so just don't feel too intimidated. And I would love for you know, more people to have uh, the, the energy and drive of this, this young person that I, that I just met. And to be successful in this sector, you really do got to come here, reach out, network, develop your network, and from that will come ideas, investment possibilities, investment ideas. Yes, and, and a balance of networking online and in person. That, that's my take. I, some people, um, they prioritize one or the other. But for me, it's especially powerful to, to do it in, in multiple ways. So I just, I just think it, you know, if anyone's listening out there and they've been intimidated by it, just go out there, put yourself out there and, and, and start networking. Excellent yeah. advice. You've been hearing from the Mining Book Guy at miningbookguy.com, David Erfley, the juniorminerjunkie.com, and Brian Lenny, juniorstockreview.com. And check out Brian's premium service. And remember the discount code there for a 40% discount, March only. I should note that only in March. Powers, P-O-W-E-R-S, P is in Paul, O-W-E-R-S. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you, gentlemen.
Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors, and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.